please grab your uh, Bibles and open them to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, which is page 976, if you have a, a visitor's Bible in front of you, and there are still a few at the back um, if you need one. This morning's reading will um, see us finish off the first half of chapter 1, from verses 15 to the end of the chapter, and then after the reading, we will sing another hymn, um, and then we'll look at God's word together. So let's look down from verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if your Bible has closed shut, please open it again to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, why don't we pray before we begin? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us under your word this morning, and we simply pray that by your spirit, you would enlighten our hearts, that you would draw us close to you, that you would help us to grow, and above all else, you would help us to know you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, when we pray for the church, what exactly should we be praying for? How often should we pray for the church? Just when things are bad or all the time? What do we really need, both as individual members and as a whole body of the church? In this letter, Paul um, has written to the church in Ephesus, and this morning, we get to one of the two passages where Paul is praying for them. Now, we know later on uh, in the letter that Paul, as he writes this, he's in prison. And I can imagine that as he prays, tears are running down his cheek. But I don't imagine tears of sadness for his imprisonment when Paul says in verses 15 and 16 that he's heard of their faith and he's thankful to God, 
It's not a, a general prayer of thanks, but a very real and joyful cry of hallelujah. These are tears of happiness. And to understand why, we need to take a look at Paul's time in Ephesus. So please turn with me to the book of Acts just for a moment. And we're going to Acts chapter 20. Now, just before, in chapter 19, it consists of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And what it shows us is that it's extraordinary. We see extraordinary results from the work of the Spirit using Paul's ministry. We see extraordinary results of the Holy Spirit performing miracles, and we even see sorcerers burning their books, and eventually the whole city is in a confused riot because of Paul's ministry through the Spirit destroying paganism in Ephesus. And then in, chap in chapter 20, verse 17, we see that while Paul is on the way to Jerusalem, he lands in a city near to Ephesus, and he calls the Ephesian uh, ministers, the, the elders, to meet him. And from verse 17 to the end of the chapter, we have Paul's big farewell, his big goodbye. But it's not the kind of goodbye you'd expect. So for our purposes today, I want us to notice three things. Chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Paul tells them in this goodbye that he anticipates imprisonment and affliction. And then look down to 28 to 30. He says to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit have made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, this is the really big thing to notice um, as we go through the letter. Paul is warning the elders and saying, watch out, because from within your own congregation, fierce wolves will rise up, speaking twisted things and drawing away disciples. In other words, members of their own congregation will turn out to be evil, false teachers, and will work to corrupt the congregation. And the third and final thing, verse 36 to 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul loves this church. 
We can see that from the emotion in the goodbye. He's poured out so much time and so much energy into this church. And yet as he leaves, knowing he leaves for imprisonment, to never see them again, he must do so knowing that fierce wolves will rise up to tear apart this church that he loves so dearly. So turn back to Ephesians with me. If you were writing a letter to the church that you love, knowing that evil is working to attack her from inside the camp, what would you say? Well, Paul says in the first half of chapter 1 of how glorious is God's grace in the gospel of, of his salvation, their salvation. The gospel of God worked through Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a beautiful section of not only praise, but deep truths of who God is and what he has done in Christ. And that's a great place to start. And now in our passage today, he tells them, I am praying. I am praying with thanks to God for you and your faith and for your love towards each other. Imagine the encouragement that would have been to Paul to hear that there are actually some faithful, loving children of God left in this, in this Ephesian church. And then from verses 17 to 23, he says he is praying the Holy Spirit would help them. This is a bit like when someone's injured or unwell and someone says, don't worry, the doctor is on his way. Paul says, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will do his ministry amongst you all. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning, what Paul is praying for the Spirit to do in the church. And although I hope Edinburgh North Church will never face the exact same situation as the Ephesian church, we must still pray the Spirit would do the same work for, for us both individually and corporately. Because we have here a prayer that the Spirit would enlighten hearts in knowledge. Enlighten hearts to know three things. The first two are in verse 18, if you look down. The hope to which God has called us and the inheritance of the saints. And thirdly, verse 17, the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those who believe. And I've broken it down into two things for us to pray for ourselves and our church, which you'll find on the back of the order of the service. The first one then, pray our hearts would always be enlightened with the hope of future glory. Paul is essentially praying that God would apply to the heart what he has just described in chapter 1, in verses 3 to 14. And we've already looked at this, but in summary, if you want to go over it again, maybe you missed that last one. Verse 3, we saw that every spiritual blessing comes in Christ. Verse 7, that we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. Verse 10, that God's plan is to unite all things in Christ. And verse 11, that in Christ we receive an inheritance, a glorious future. Paul really wants people to not just hear something about God, but as God's people to really know him through this. 
Look down at uh, verse 17. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, we should be clear that this is not Paul praying that they would receive the Spirit for the first time. He's already said they have faith. He's already said that they are sealed by the Spirit. He's also not praying for some kind of different Spirit. Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit who dwells within them to do his ministry so that the Spirit would, verse 18, Enlighten the eyes of their hearts so that they would know what is the hope to which he, that's God, has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He wants hearts that know hope and inheritance promised in Christ. And notice how Paul speaks of the heart, not to open the eyes of the heart, but to enlighten. Paul doesn't want the Spirit to help us just follow our heart, but to change it. Change it by charging it with the light of wisdom and revelation. When we become believers and we put our faith in Jesus, we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. We receive the Spirit of Christ. And part of the Spirit's ministry is to lead us deeper into the knowledge of God. Not knowledge in a mere academic sense, but knowledge in a relational sense. A deep understanding that changes the way we live and the way we think. What the Spirit does to our heart is to change what it desires from desiring nothing but sin to desiring God. And what Paul prays is that the Spirit would enlighten our hearts to know, to understand and desire the hope to which God has called us to and the inheritance he has given, given us. And this is the great challenge for every Christian, to face the everyday with certain hope of our promised future, not hope in a, a wishful thinking sense, like I hope I get this for Christmas, but in a biblical certain hope. Each morning to open the curtains on our lives and have our spirit-filled hearts shine forth onto our situation to remind us of the joy of being in Christ. This whole letter is filled with reminders of the importance of being in Christ. There is nothing more wonderful, more amazing, more life-enhancing and enriching than to be in Christ. God calls us, and in Christ we answer. God calls us, and in Christ we are forgiven. We have life, and we have hope of a glorious future. Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, that's all very well for you to say, Paul, but you don't have to deal with my issues, my problems, my situation. If you were in my shoes, Paul, I, I bet you'd forget all hope and just be full of worry and doubt. 
Well, remember the, the first of the three things we noticed in Acts chapter 20. Paul told the elders that he anticipates imprisonment and affliction everywhere he goes. And what do we see in Paul's future as we read it in the Bible? Imprisonment and affliction everywhere he goes. Paul is praying for this hope as he sits in chains in prison. If Paul drew his hope from his present situation, then he wouldn't have any. Yet here he is writing this beautiful letter full of praise, full of God's glory and grace, because the Spirit enlightens his heart and allows him to see his present situation in the light of a certain future glory. Can you imagine how the Ephesians would have needed this prayer after that warning Paul had given them? Is there anything more likely to cut you at the knees than your own people working against you? But this is also something we need. We need people praying this for us, and we need to pray it for them. Without any help from God, our hearts are not enlightened with wisdom and revelation. To keep us walking well with Christ, to help us discern the truth in any situation, to make good and holy decisions, our hearts are by nature twisted and do not know the desire of God. We need God to bend back the will of our hearts towards him, to desire him. As we perceive and judge the world, we do so with a heart that will too easily mislead us. We cannot see the world from God's perspective unless God himself, in his spirit, enlightens our hearts. But we also need to have faith this really can happen and understand how it happens. And that's why God's word is also calling us to pray. Secondly, pray our hearts would always be enlightened with the resurrection power of Christ. Once a person lives with an enlightened heart of hope and a strong sense of God's calling for them, they can quickly become astonished by the world around them. How can the world not share the love and desire that we have in our hearts for God? Why doesn't God do something about it? How can I live as a, a godly person in such an ungodly world? As we consider the context of the Ephesian saints, we, we might ask, how can they survive the wolves attacking them from within? Well, that's why Paul prays for a deeper understanding of God's method. Look down with me at verse 19 to 20. Paul's continuing to pray the Spirit would enlighten hearts with knowledge, and he prays they would know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, resurrection power. 
This is at the core of why and how we as Christians have certain hope. The power of God to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that God works in his church, in us. If you look down to verse 22 and 23, you'll see Paul concludes his prayer by saying that all of this, even the blessings of the first half of chapter 1, it is all part of the church in Christ. Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Because Christ is the head of the church, we can expect and know this resurrection power, the power that took Jesus' broken and murdered body from the grave to glory from a humble, lowly position where he was scorned and mocked by earthly authorities to verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Christ has been given the greatest power as the greatest of authorities placed at the right hand of God the Father. And yet, he's not some distant puppet master that helps us, but he actually sends his spirit to dwell in us. He is the head. And what is a head without a body? As the body of Christ, God's work to unite all things in Christ includes us, the church. John Calvin said, This is the highest honor of the church, that until he is united to us, the Son of God reckons himself in some measure imperfect. What consolation it is for us to learn that not until we are along with him, he does possess all his parts or wish to be regarded as complete. Now, of course, Christ is perfect and doesn't need us to complete him. But Paul is emphasizing and persuading us of the incredibly close and intimate relationship between Christ and his church. And that means being part of God's plan in Christ to unite all things in him. Christ is working through his body, the church, turning death into life, taking what was far away and bringing it near, turning the unholy into the holy, all fueled by the same power that that raised Christ from the grave to glory. Resurrection power is God's method for working his plan in this world. And that means we, as in the church in Christ, need to know how God uses this power. And it will often look as if it's powerless. And that's not something that's easy to get used to. It means we need to enlighten our hearts to see, 
to judge and view our often weak-looking, hopeless situation, not by earthly or worldly standards of power, but this very particular power of God in his church. It may sometimes feel like God is an absent bystander while we battle on in our, our present situation. But Paul prays we would know that God is active and working amongst his church. God is working in this world through his church. But God's power displays itself differently. God's particular power in this world through the church takes an enlightened heart to understand it and to show it. And why we need God by his spirit to help us. A good example or illustration of this would be Paul himself. As he soldiered on, proclaiming God's word, he knew nothing but imprisonment and affliction awaited him. And yet that did not defeat him. It did not make him doubt. He was able to rise above it because his heart was enlightened. He knew hope. He knew he was called by God. He knew God's immeasurable power to turn weakness into glory. We must always be praying for hearts that know the power of hope and resurrection in Christ. Not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in the church. Praying that God would enlighten our hearts in such a way that we would always consider our present in light of future glory. Always trusting in God's resurrection power to use weakness. Yes, because individually in our personal lives, we will face situations where we feel weak, incapable, hopeless. And we need to trust God in that. But also as the church in Christ. The church constantly faces threats, constantly looks weak, vulnerable. People are always published in these predictions that in 50 years there will be no Christians in such and such a place. There's always pressure to see biblical ethics, God's law as old hat, outdated, and even offensive. These things are tough, but they don't get us down if we have hearts that know, truly and deeply know, the power of certain hope and resurrection in Christ. We must keep praying that God's spirit would help us as the church in Christ to grow into the fullness of Christ as we grow in maturity, becoming steadfast and solid, patient and kind, a light and witness to those who don't know God at all yet, as we grow joyful and passionate disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for his ministry in our lives as individuals, but as a church as well. We pray that as we spend time looking at your word week in and week out, this morning, this evening, that your spirit would be uniting us to Christ and to each other as we grow more and more into his likeness. 
We pray that we would all have hearts that only ever know hope and resurrection power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.